Good evening, everyone in the room and on Zoom. It's good to have so many more people in the room. It's starting to feel a bit more normal again. Um, for those of you who may not know, in the Zen tradition, um, today, the 8th of December in Japan, is Buddha's Enlightenment Day, uh, where his awakening under the, the Bodhi tree is celebrated. And in the Zen tradition, um, there is a, um, a session called a Rohatsu session, which leads up to today, finishes at, in Japan, it finishes at midnight tonight, and then the monks, after they're finished, it's a very gruelling, it's the toughest session of the year, and uh, a lot of long sitting, and after they finish, they go outside and they all look up at the morning star. So um, we're not a, a group that's, that's particularly over, overly um, devotional in our style, um, be, but because it's Rohatsu and it's the 8th of December, on behalf of everyone, I offered three sticks of incense to the Buddha tonight as um, um, appreciating the three treasures of the, the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha, which um, upholds our teaching. So I want to say um, a few words about um, the Buddha's life and, and asking the question really, what, what is enlightenment? Now, you, are, you all know the story, um, which I'll just very briefly outline again of the story of the Buddha as it's been handed down, that he came from some kind of privileged existence, um, cloistered from the world, um, becomes curious about what's outside in the world, um, sees suffering in the world, old person, sick person, dead person, monk, um, uh, relinquishes his social status and wealth, family, goes away to the forest, um, learns various philosophical teachings, learns various aesthetic practices, finds that they're dead ends, hasn't answered his question or, you know, um, untied that, that knot in his belly. So he resolves to sit under the Bodhi tree and meditate until he really just resolves his question, why is there suffering in the world? And as it's handed down to us, he sits there for many days. And then one, one morning, um, you know, as dawn is approaching, he looks up and he sees the morning star. And at that point, he becomes awakened, becomes the morning star, becomes the trigger to breaking down or waking him up is probably a better way of putting it, waking him up from the self-centered dream, which is in our practice principles. And, uh, and through the Zen tradition, you see so many Zen stories of people being woken up by some kind of unexpected um, sensory experience. You know, hearing the, the pebble tock against the bamboo as they were sweeping the garden, you know, or um, walking over a, a wooden bridge that collapses or something like that, you know, or a teacher shouting at them. Um, but you see so many different examples of people being ripe in a sense through years of practice and then just waking up um, when they least expected it. Uh, 
and the Zen tradition um, uh, tries to be faithful to the Buddha's practice of doing sitting in sitting meditation mm-hmm. and, and lots of it. So it's not like, it's not particularly, it's got a, some devotional element to it. It's devotional, it, it's also to do with understanding texts and sutras to some degree. But as we all know from our experience, the core of it is doing what the Buddha did. Um, to sit in meditation, to resolve that discontent that, that's, that's associated with being caught up in our own um, ego identity. Now, what is enlightenment? Mm-hmm. If we look at the word first, the, word, the age of enlightenment is actually a period in Western history that followed the Renaissance around the 17th, 18th, 19th century. And it became a period where um, the power of, of institutionalised religion was fading, reasoning, science, liberty, equality, all of those kind of things were emerging. But it doesn't really, uh, it's the word which is used um, for the Buddha's experience or people who do follow this path. But it doesn't really capture what the meaning of awakening from the self-centred dream is because it's essentially, it's not an intellectual experience. It's a preconceptual experience and an experience of um, wholeness, really, that occurs and that waking up occurs and an experience of just experiencing life as it is, the suchness of life, before we divide it up into good and bad and right and wrong and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's the, that's the nature of the actual experience. Now, as Buddhism has evolved as an institution and as a religion, um, what has happened is that the Buddha's been crea- created into being this um, superhuman kind of person um, and someone who could perform miracles or somehow was transformed to be different from any other human being, a superhuman being. Um, I, I don't personally buy into that, that view. Um, he was a he was an ordinary man who woke up. He was an ordinary man who just woke up very clearly into seeing that he wasn't just this limited ego identity. And so out of that experience, which we may refer to as Satori or, or Kensho experience, where there's a, a breaking away of that um, limitation, what evolves out of that is from it's a movement from self-centeredness into altruism, basically, and all the altruistic qualities that come with not being so self-preoccupied, which is patience, generosity, wisdom, wisdom, compassion, um, ethical conduct, not wanting to harm others, all of those things evolve out of that experience. But when we look at how Zen has evolved into um, Western cultures like our own over um, 
a hundred years or more. Um, one of the most um, influential writers who started it off was D.T. Suzuki, um, the Zen scholar and monk. And, um, and D.T. Suzuki emphasised very strongly through all of his books the importance and the centrality of insight, of satori, um, enlightenment experience as being at the core of Zen practice. So that's what everyone wanted. Yeah, we all wanted that, uh -huh. especially coming from such a, a, a culture where um, materialistic values were so entrenched, you know, we, we all wanted to free ourselves from it in some way. So this, this seemed like a wonderful thing to aspire to. Um, but then, he, he didn't talk about how you may experience that, what, what are the conditions, what the practice is. So one of the next influential books that came along was The Three Pillars of Zen, which actually talked not just about those experiences, but what you actually needed to do to cultivate the mind so they might accidentally occur. Um, and uh, that was written by Philip Kaplow, who was a, uh, a colleague and uh, someone who knew Robert Aiken Roshi very well. They were contemporaries. So it was that, that generation. Now, as then has evolved even more, and we don't have such a perhaps a starry-eyed view of it as we did a generation ago, um, we can see that um, it's just not, not just meditation and lots of it that are important in Zen practice, it obviously is. But we see also that the, the cultivation of, of ethics, um, engagement in the world and relationships through generosity and patience, it's cultivating that kind of character, is also a very important part of Zen training. It's not just meditation, mm -hmm. but it's embracing the whole practice. And I think that what we've seen, you know, with the maturity of, of years, is that while these so-called enlightenment experiences may be interesting and useful, and they may be little growth spurts, they're, they're by no means the whole of what practice is. Um, and I think there's generally a consensus amongst contemporary Zen teachers these days that, um, yes, they're interesting when they occur, um, but they can also be a trap. And they can be a trap where people believe um, that they're... It can, make, it can it have the opposite effect where people can become grandiose and inflated by the experience as though it's made them special in some way. Um, and people cling to the experience. We talk about uh, Zen sickness, where people are pining to have that experience again, which really goes against the whole point of practice. Right? Um, so Joko, in her wisdom, was one of the first, you know, contemporary, or a generation ago, contemporary teacher, who emphasised the importance of gradual practice and a, grow, a slower a slower, more steady maturing of the character rather than chasing after these particular experiences. But like anything, you, you chase them, the more you chase them, the further away they get from you. you know, like chasing butterflies. You know? 
um, as Dogen says, we need to just sit and give up um, any ideas about gaining anything because we don't gain anything. So it's not about idealising the practice into some superhuman thing or idealising into some one moment of insight that's totally going to change our lives. It can be transformative to some degree, but it's not, it's not the, whole, the, whole, the whole point. I'd like to read to you um, a poem do any of you remember Allen Ginsberg, one of the beat poets, along with Gary Snyder? Um, a poem of his is quoted in a in a um, a book by um, Peter Levy, I think his name is, who was a contemporary Zen teacher in the U.S. He read a book on Dogen, and he quotes Allen Ginsberg, who says. Under the burden of solitude, under the burden of dissatisfaction, the weight, the weight we are carrying is love. And he goes on to say, yes, yes, that's what I wanted. I always wanted to return to the body where I was born. And in many ways that sums up the trajectory of Zen practice. Mm -hmm is that we, we return to the body. By returning to the body, we're returning not just, just to this body. But if we realise the interconnectedness of everything, we're returning to the whole big body of this world, the whole big body of the universe, not just this body. And Peter uses the term that I referred to in our sitting when we began tonight, that the practice is about, or what we call enlightenment, is about returning to original wholeness. That's a lovely expression. You know, it was originally there. We, we are whole, just don't realise that we're whole. It's not we're gaining something, we're just returning something to something that was always there, but we couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. And by returning to that original wholeness, we're returning to the body of love. Mm -hmm. If we get out of this head-centred, egocentric way of being in the world where we're separated, and we live through the senses, and we live through the body, and we're touched by the morning star, we're touched by the dawn, we're touched by the smile of a child, right? Or anything, any experience that happens in our life. And that's, if, if, a, if there is a true enlightenment experience or a true awakening, it's really its litmus test is in the way that we then act with wisdom and compassion in the world. Not that it's just something that happens in your head, um, but it's actually, it works its way through into our relationship with everything. So, they're, lo they're lovely lines, I love them. You know, returning to original wholeness and returning to the body of love. 